The Bible reading is from Mark 9, 9 to 13, and 30 to 32. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, nice to see you all. My name is Jared, and I'm the pastor here at HWC. Great to have you with us. And um, we are working our way through Mark's biography of the Lord Jesus. And so today, uh, if you're confused as to why we didn't read that bit in the middle, it's because we preached. I preached on it last week. So if you if you want to hear that bit, go online and listen to it. Uh, the bits either side of that bit form a sandwich. So so we we the same idea came up before, and it comes up again here. And so that's why we're going through those together. Mark's biography of Jesus uh, focuses in the first half all on who Jesus is, and um, that's the primary focus. Um, it does show us what he does as well, but primarily that first half is on who is Jesus. And the second half, uh, which we're into now, is all about Jesus' road to the cross, or what Jesus came to do. Uh, so please join me in prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the, your love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for pouring out your spirit. We thank you for your word. Please enable us this morning to have our eyes lifted to the Lord Jesus, and in particular, help us to understand the significance of the prophecy that you gave, Lord, of your death and resurrection. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been afraid uh, to ask a question? Uh, too scared to voice the concern in your heart? Well, we can, we can be scared to ask questions for all kinds of reasons. Maybe uh, being uncertain of the situation is now an appropriate time to ask. Just in case you're wondering, please save your questions till the end. <laughs> fear, fear of the people around us. Uh, what will they think of me? Uh, fear of looking like I don't know what's going on. Uh, will I look silly for asking that? Uh, fear of not understanding the answer. If I don't understand how it's been explained now and I ask again, who's to say I'm going to understand it then? Um, and another reason for being afraid to ask a question is because we're afraid of what the answer might be. Uh, when asking would clarify and cement what we hoped was just our misunderstanding. Uh, perhaps I heard wrong or, or didn't really get it. Or maybe it was just meant in a different way uh, to what I must, might have initially thought. Asking would clear things up um, and maybe we'd prefer the waters to stay a little bit muddy. Well, in today's passage, we see the disciples question among themselves what Jesus was talking about. 
And when he says the same things again, they still don't understand, but find themselves afraid to ask, too scared to voice the concerns in their hearts. Today, we're going to look at the prophecies that Jesus gave either side of the exorcism that we saw last week. Uh, Both of these prophecies Jesus gives in private to his disciples. The first one to Peter, James and John, who were the three who'd been up with him on the mountain. uh, And the second one to the disciples more generally. The main idea that keeps coming up is that Jesus was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to rise again. Instead of voicing the initial questions they had, the disciples begin by asking about Elijah. And Jesus answers their question and in doing so, points once again to the the prophecy that he was going to suffer, die and rise. So as we work our way through this passage, we'll see what Jesus said in these prophecies. We'll see why the disciples were afraid, why these prophecies are so important and what the right response for us to have is. So our passage begins with Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John. Those were the three disciples who'd been with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were coming down the mountain. Uh, They'd had this truly terrifying experience where they'd seen Jesus in his glory. They saw his face blaze like the sun and his clothes go white like no launderer could bleach them. And they heard the voice of God the Father coming from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And they've, they've got all of this in their mind as they're making their way down the mountain. Uh, imagine what kinds of things that they would be thinking as they've just seen Jesus in glory. They're going down the mountain and then Jesus charges them. He gives them a command, an order. He calls upon them to keep quiet. But there's more to what Jesus says than just keep quiet. Jesus calls them to keep what they've seen secret until until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead? What? The disciples don't understand. They, They question among themselves what Jesus is saying, wondering what this rising from the dead might mean. They scratch their heads and can't make heads or tails of it. What is he referring to? Uh, Jesus taught that he would die and rise just a chapter ago, remember, when when Peter rebuked Jesus and, and Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So this isn't the first they're hearing of this, but they still don't grasp it. Instead of asking uh, what they've been questioning in their hearts, the disciples ask a different question, uh, this time about Elijah. They ask, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Uh, But instead of this question shifting the topic away from from the uncomfortable idea of dying and rising, Jesus uses their question to point to the reality that Elijah has come and that Elijah's destiny is linked to the Son of Man, Jesus himself being that Son of Man. So like in the exorcism passage we saw last week, where Jesus wasn't sidetracked by the crowds swarming around him, Jesus isn't sidetracked by the disciples' question. He gets right to the heart of what was going on. Uh, The disciples think they've kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. But of course, Jesus is God. He knows exactly what they're thinking. Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? They ask. Have you just imagined for the disciples at that moment what that would have been like? They've just seen Elijah. 
along with Moses and Jesus on top of the mountain. But they're curious what Elijah has to do with the coming of the kingdom. Uh, The scribes had uh, correctly understood that Elijah does come first. And this is shown by Jesus' response. Elijah does come first to restore all things. The Bible prophesies that Elijah would come before God himself would come. If you want to see that more, have a read of Malachi. So the scribes had got that part right. There you go. (laughs) But perhaps the scribes, true to form, were trying to discredit Jesus. Maybe their angle was Elijah must come first. And have you seen Elijah? Have I seen no one? No one's seen Elijah. So who is, who is Jesus then? That's possibly their angle. Raising questions about Jesus because they would raise questions as to whether Elijah had come. But whichever way you look at it, Elijah had come. The scribes just hadn't realized it. Uh, We've just seen Elijah appear on the mountain alongside Moses and Jesus, talking to Jesus. But there's another Elijah figure, uh, one we've already met in Mark, way back at the beginning of Mark's biography of Jesus. This was the guy who wore the Elijah uniform. Um, If you can remember way back to when I wore my high-vis vest and said that that's a uniform that's instantly recognizable for people, that's obvious, Uh, This guy was wearing the Elijah uniform, uh, locusts, wild honey, a leather belt, and clothing made of camel's hair. It is, of course, John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord Jesus. Elijah must come first, yes, and Elijah has come. There's no discrediting Jesus there. And what's more, the Elijah figure suffered and died. And this tells us something about the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. Jesus shows how the destiny of the Elijah figure, John the Baptist, is much like what would happen to him, the Son of Man. If they persecuted John the Baptist, the Elijah figure, then so shall they persecute Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Hear Jesus' words in in chapter 9, verse 12 to 13. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. If you cast your mind back in Mark, um, we saw what happened to John a few chapters earlier. Uh, Can you remember? If you can't remember, don't worry, I'll tell you. Uh, John was beheaded at a super weird and very dodgy dinner party hosted by Herod and his family. They did to him, John, the Elijah figure, whatever they pleased. Uh, And clearly this destiny faced by John the Baptist is similar to Jesus' own coming death. If you read again the account in Mark 6, you can see the parallel between the death of John and the death of Jesus later in Mark, with one significant thing being his disciples laid his body in a tomb which is very similar to the language used of Jesus later. So I'm not sure if the disciples were trying to change the subject away from Jesus' death and resurrection, but their question about Elijah points straight to Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the inescapable prophecy that keeps coming up. Just like it was prophesied that the Son of Man, Jesus, would suffer many things and be treated with contempt 
Elijah, John the Baptist, suffered and was treated with contempt. The one who prepared the way, John, died facing rejection, just like the one who is the way, Jesus. If they persecuted John the Baptist, the Elijah figure, who prepared the way for the kingdom to come, then so shall they persecute Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, who is the divine King himself. Following on from this first teaching and prophecy with the three guys around is the exorcism account we looked at last week. Uh, and, and that account we saw, the, the faithlessness of the generation. We saw faithlessness um, throughout the, the, the group of people, the crowds, the scribes, the disciples even, and the, and the man. But we saw how having trust in Jesus, even though our trust in him isn't perfect, uh, he, he, he is perfect. And so uh, he more than makes up for any of our deficiencies. But after the exorcism we looked at, uh, we again see Jesus with his disciples. But this time it's presumably more than Peter, James and John because he's been with the whole group of 12. Um, and they, uh, Jesus is telling this broader group of disciples the same thing that he told the three earlier. Here's a quote. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Jesus tells them what's going to happen, just like in the previous prophecy. And Jesus, again, doesn't want anyone to know. Now is the, not the time for that information to be broadcast. There will come a time for it to be proclaimed from the rooftop, rooftops, but then was not that, that time. Jesus was on the road to the cross. Remember, that's what that second half of Mark's all about, his road to the cross. But his hour to go to the cross had not yet come. With great clarity, Jesus tells them something that sends shivers down their spines. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. And despite this clear and repeated prophecy, they don't understand. They don't get it. And they're too afraid to ask Jesus about it. Uh, Luke, in his biography of Jesus, tells us that this truth was concealed from them. Uh, this truth was hidden from the disciples and they were prevented from understanding it. Matthew, in his biography of Jesus, tells us that they were greatly distressed. Why were they so afraid? Well, I think there's two big reasons that come to my mind. First one is the personal side. They know Jesus. He's their friend, and they love him dearly. They don't want anything bad to happen to him. Losing a loved one is tragic. And there's often a fear that goes along with that. There's a great sense of loss when a loved one dies. So on a personal level, they would have been afraid to lose their dearly loved friend, Jesus. That's not the only reason for their fear, though. There's also the practical side. They believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed king who's come to establish God's kingdom on earth and who will rule forever. How does dying fit into that? Hearing the Christ you're following is going to die. 
That doesn't sound like it should be part of the plan, does it? I mean, if you or I or the disciples were to write a book on how to rule forever, my mind wouldn't immediately think die. I think we would all be more thinking, how do you avoid death at all costs? It's as though they get stuck on Jesus dying and miss the rising part altogether. They, they, and they probably believed in the universal resurrection at the end, where God will raise everyone and judge. But the thought of Jesus rising in history, kick-starting the resurrection age, that doesn't appear to be in their minds at all. Instead, it seems as though they're thinking, if Jesus dies, then that's it. And pack up our bags and go home, go back to fishing. We lose our friend and we lose our hope. But God's plan, while it may not instantly make sense to us, is perfect. It's always perfect. And why are these prophecies so significant? Well, they're prophesied in the Old Testament and again in the New. So they're not guesses made by someone once somewhere. It's not a coincidence. No, these are the repeated prophecies spoken by God through his prophets of the reality of what was to happen to Jesus. They're spoken of God uh, many times in his word. Uh, we see loads of examples from Genesis 3.15 of the snake crusher to Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant who will rise again to Matthew 16 and 17 and Mark 8 and 9 and the list goes on and on and on. And not only were they prophesied, not only were these claims made throughout the Bible consistently, they all came true, fulfilled exactly as promised. Jesus really did die. Ask any historian who doesn't have some super weird angle. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified under Pontius Pilate. That's a historical fact. And Jesus really did rise again on the third day. Did they ever find Jesus' body? No. Did people see Jesus after he died and rose and see him on multiple occasions, in multiple locations, and touch him and see him eat and walk around and see him with flesh and bones? Yes, 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 and yes. Jesus really was dead, and three days later, he really was alive again. We can trust God and his word. God is always trustworthy and he's capable of coming through to fulfill his promises. All of these things come together to point to the reality that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. Uh, no one else can raise themselves from the dead. No one else ever has or ever will. And if you're not yet convinced of that reality, then I'll call upon you to look into the evidence. It holds up. Jesus really did die, and he really did appear to many people in, on multiple occasions, and no one ever found the body. And the disciples went to go and tell people, um, knowing that they were going to be murdered for it, um, but they did it because they wanted to see people saved. Uh, this, this wasn't an accident. Uh, it didn't take God by surprise, Jesus' death and resurrection. God planned this on purpose. But why? Why die and rise? Why did God plan this? Was it just as an example? Well, Jesus' death is an example 
the most beautiful example of love ever, of self-sacrificial service of others. Yes, Jesus' death is an example, but it's much more than just an example. Why die and rise? Why did God plan this? To reconcile sinners to God. Uh, If the disciples were thinking that Jesus was just going to knock over their oppressors, the Romans, they weren't thinking big enough. Jesus came to defeat the ultimate enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And this was only possible through his death and on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays that, Father, um, if there be any other way, uh, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus going to the cross was the only way to restore that broken relationship between us and God. Only by Jesus dying the death deserved by the worst of the worst, all the while he was innocent, could we be rescued from being the worst of the worst and be made to be innocent? We all deserve to be under God's judgment in hell. But on the cross, Jesus took that judgment in the place of his people, in the place of all who believe in him. So what decides where we spend forever is whether we're in Christ or not, uh, whether we're one of his people or not, whether we trust Jesus and his death and resurrection alone to save us. So trust him. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in him. Trust him as your saviour and submit to him as king. If we keep pushing the question of why, or why did God make a plan to reconcile sinners to himself? He doesn't need us. We often mess up, uh, even after we put our faith in him. So why would he do that? Why, why, why would he want us? Why would God make a plan to reconcile sinners to himself? Love. It's his steadfast, covenant, faithful love and his faithfulness to his promises. Love. Uh, Maybe you've lived a life where you've found relationships to be difficult. Uh, Maybe in your life you feel alone or isolated now. Well, can I ask you, do you know the love of God? Do you know the God who loves you? Do you know the God who cares so much that he took on flesh and went to the cross in your place to rescue you from a sentence you deserved and could never escape. Because when you know God and you know his love like that, we realize something, don't we? It's not anything in me that recommends me to God for him to set his love on me. No, it's purely his grace, his kindness, his mercy, his love. Do you know this God? I don't mean do you just know about him. No, I mean do you know him intimately as saviour, as king, as lord and as friend? And if you don't, then I want to ask you this morning, don't you want to know him? Don't you want to know the one who loves you this much? The one who cares so much that he came to save. The context makes clear what the right response is for the disciples to have, and then also for us. 
uh, the context of being told, listen to Jesus, and also the context of the, the father of the, the boy who had the demon being told to, to, by coming to Jesus with, I believe, help my unbelief. How are we to respond to these prophecies of Jesus? Hear his words and listen. Trust him. Believe in him who died and rose again to rescue us from our sin. Come to the one who loves you more than anyone else loves you. And come with open hands, ready to receive the gift of his grace, the gift of his love, the gift of his salvation. And trust him now before it's too late. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? And do you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you? Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you came to this earth that you'd made to die the death that we deserved in our place on the cross. And we thank you that you rose again powerfully as you promised and that you rule over everything. We thank you that you've defeated death and sin and the devil. And we thank you that we have nothing to fear for all of those who are found in you. So Lord, we come to you and we come with open hands to receive the gift that you are offering. We trust you and you alone, Lord, for our salvation. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. And Lord, we thank you that we need not fear. We need not fear death uh, because you, Lord Jesus, have defeated death. We trust you. and We thank you that you died and you rose and that you did that for us. That you did that to make us righteous in your sight, Lord God. We praise you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.